Conservative leader Pierre Polyev certainly takes a great deal of delight in talking about defunding CBC. It's something that gets the crowd going as well at his rallies across the country. There was a time when saying you would defund CBC would be something that would, well, make a lot of Canadians sit up and take notice, maybe make them angry. Nowadays, though, it's something that delights conservatives while much of the rest of the country kind of shrugs their shoulders. Hello and welcome to the Full Comment Podcast. My name is Brian Lilly, your host, and today we're going to take a look at Canada's national broadcaster. Will it be defunded? Is it a good idea to defund it? And what would it look like if we tried to fix it instead of just scrapping it? Our guest on today's program is someone who knows all about CBC, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Richard Sturzberg is a former broadcast executive. He was vice president of CBC Radio Canada from October 2004 until August 2010. He was in charge of English services, both the radio and TV side. He tried to bring about changes to CBC, but, well... As you'll hear in the conversation, it didn't always go so well. He's also the author of the 2012 memoir, The Tower of Babel, that spent a good deal of time talking about his time at CBC. Richard Sturzberg joins us in Toronto today. Richard, thanks for the time. My pleasure. Before we get into the state of CBC and a certain apple-munching politician's views on it, um, I did want to ask you about you know, your time there. Because you were hired for a specific purpose. You were hired to do what you'd done at Telefilm Canada, to go in and make shows that Canadians wanted to watch. You had some success. You had a lot of blowback. Before we get into the blowback and the internal pushback, tell me about the success. What was it like going into CBC with a mandate to make shows Canadians actually wanted to watch? Well, uh <laughs> The, the backdrop to it is that uh, the CBC had been losing, uh, CBC television is what I'm talking about now. CBC television had been losing market share, uh, oh, I don't know, for the last 30 years. And its share had been consistently dropping. And uh, the general view at the time, and certainly was my view, was that the CBC was paid for by all Canadians. So it uh, should make things that were broadly popular. And it should make things that were Canadian that neither CGV nor Global nor anybody else could really afford or, you know, had the desire to make. And so um, there was, I think it's fair to say, a certain resistance because there was a kind of theory within the CBC at the time that if you were to make popular shows, then inevitably uh, they would be kind of uh, stupid or of low quality. (laughs) Uh, And that if you were to make... Clever shows, inevitably, uh, they would not be popular because um, the audience wouldn't get it. Now, I, I thought this was, this was completely wrong-headed and that uh, the great challenge of television, like the great challenge of movies, is to make beautiful shows that are clever and popular and that there's no inherent contradiction. So part of the difficulty was that there was this kind of uh, culture within the CBC, and the culture was corrosive in the sense that, you know, you could never win with a culture like that. If you made popular shows, it meant that you were stupid. And if you made uh, shows that nobody watched, then you had a different problem. So part of the difficulty was to renovate the culture and at the same time to change the entire strategy with respect to how we were making shows. So we started uh, 
uh, a process of making shows within the kinds of conventions that television that Canadians like in television, which are essentially American conventions. Um, so Canadians like to see shows that were structured in particular kinds of ways, followed particular kinds of formats. We opened up, uh, there was a huge, uh, you know, business that the CBC had ever wanted to touch in unscripted shows. And uh, they were looked down upon too as kind of reality shows. And what came out of that was uh, uh, a series of, of new kinds of shows that uh, the CBC had not really done before. So we did Little Mosque on the Prairie. Uh, we did things like Dragon's Den, which is on to this day. Um, and we, we started building um, shows that were either, you know, traditional procedurals or situation comedies or uh, unscripted shows of one variety or another. And the response was, was interesting. The response was great. Uh, at a certain point, we had uh, managed to position CBC Television as the number two uh, watched television service uh, in prime time in the country after CTV with all Canadian lineup, whereas CTV's lineup was, you know, basically almost an all-American lineup. Yeah, so they they bid on the big popular shows out of the states. That's been their business model for years. So you're you're up against shows that are part of the the wider zeitgeist, and yeah. and you manage to say oh, p- bypass global, which buys up the the secondary shows out That's of the right. U.S. And, and 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 we were very successful, and so. A number of interesting things happened as the CBC's shows got more popular. Uh, we, we would survey Canadians on a regular basis and see what they thought of the corporation in terms of, you know, uh, whether it mattered to them, whether they thought it was distinctive and so on and so forth. And as the numbers got better, Canadians' attitudes towards the CBC became more and more uh, positive. <laughs> and the other thing that happened, which was fascinating to me, was that uh, – we also surveyed our own employees to find out what they thought of overall strategy. And not surprisingly, I think, um, as the shows got more popular, um, they had they became uh, happier uh, in terms of their work inside the corporation. So um, it's uh, and, I, and I don't think that's altogether surprising. I mean, people like success. You know, nothing succeeds like success. And when they feel like they're working for a place that's successful, and that's engaging, uh, you know, uh, Canadians, then they, they feel better about their own work and they feel better about the place. So that's what, what it was. I want to ask you about that, that antipathy, that, you know, that idea that, oh, popular is going to be bad. I mean, the most popular show for decades on CBC was Hockey Night in Canada. You don't get more base and more popular than just saying, here's a hockey game, guys. Have at it. Yep. But people that's right. like it. And it was good quality broadcasting at the same time. So how, where did this idea come from that, well, no, we've just got to, you know, make something for our friends in the deepest, darkest annex in downtown Toronto and to heck with everybody else. I don't know, Brian. I mean, I think that it's, it's, I found it, I found it puzzling when I got there. I'd never really kind of seen uh, that sort of a culture in any place I'd ever been before. So I don't really know how to account for it, but I do know, that uh, what happened was when we started to get successful, then as I say, the culture itself began to shift and people began to say, oh, that's great. We can actually do this and we can actually make these kinds of shows and we're positive about the way in which the uh, 
the strategy is evolving. I, I remember when your book Tower of Babel came out um, interviewing you and you told me a story about how you were touring the newsrooms and trying to tell them, don't look, don't be a stereotype. And then you got to one newsroom and they actually had the stereotype example that you were using leading off their newscast. Do you remember that? I can't remember. What was the I, I think it was about uh, goat, goat farmers. Uh, oh, goat cheese. Yeah, goat, goat cheese. cheese. They, yeah, they used to do things on goat cheese. And I said, I don't, you know, it's yeah. really going to be gripping enough. Le- leading off the six o'clock news with a story yeah. about your local organic goat cheese maker. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a different mindset than what people were watching everywhere. Well, and, and what people, people want to know. So the number one thing that they want to know in terms of local news is issues that involve, uh, basically, uh, questions of security. And that's why people are interested in fires. They're interested in, you know, crime. They're interested in all these, these sort of questions, uh, as to how is their own community, how is their own community doing? So, you know, we started to shift that around a bit. The other thing that was uh, interesting for me, I don't know if you remember this or not, was, but this links a little bit back to um, the current criticisms, which is, you know, people said, well, the problem with the news department is it's uh, it's very left-leaning, it uh, advantages the liberals, and uh, it's full of communists. And uh, so... I myself want to know was the was the news, uh, particularly the television news, was it was it was it fair? Was it uh, was it you know balanced? And so we undertook a big study. We actually hired you know a number of top experts, people, professors from UBC, York University, University of Washington, the Pew Center, and the University of Amsterdam to design a study that would look at the extent to which the news was in fact fair. And the way we did it was to compare our coverage of the conservatives with our coverage of the liberals uh, against the baseline of how global and CTV were covering. And, uh, and what we found, much to my complete amazement, um, was that the belief about the CBC News on the part of the conservatives, and, you know, they were raising a lot of money uh, on arguments that the CBC was hopelessly biased against them was exactly the opposite. That we, uh, in fact, gave more coverage to uh, the conservatives uh, than did either Global or CTV, and that we treated them slightly more positively than we treated the liberals. Now, was this before or after the change in government? Because your, your time... It- this, is during, this, is during the, this is during the Harper government. Okay. So we did this around 2008, and... Uh, but the thing that really struck me was, so I, I thought, well, this is pretty interesting. People will be fascinated because, you know, the general view, I think, shared certainly within the conservative party was that we were unfair to the conservatives. So I thought, well, okay, fine. What we'll do is we're going to take all this research. We'll put it up all online and I'll put all the data online. And if people want to reanalyze the data, they can do that themselves. And I'll make all the experts who actually designed the study and did the work available, you know, people want to talk to them and find out what, what really happened. So I thought this was going to, like, be, uh, you know, uh, an enormously interesting kind of news uh, piece. And I became even a little bit worried that the liberals would say that we were bending over backwards to be nice to conservatives because of financing issues. 
But the weirdest thing that happened was, was nothing happened. I don't even remember that story. Yeah, absolutely nothing happened. Nothing happened. We put it up. We put it right on the very front of the website. We, uh, we did a big press release around it. As I say, we put up all the data. We put up all the experts. And absolutely nothing happened. Nobody expressed any interest. Nobody called and said they wanted to get briefed. Nobody said they wanted to talk to the experts, et cetera, et cetera. It was completely, it was completely amazing. But it, but it went to one of the kind of mythological things, which is a lot of the talk, I think, and I think it's probably true today, a lot of the talk within the Conservative Party about the bias of the CBC is really talk that's designed to raise money from um, supporters of the Conservative Party rather than talk that is based on, you know, some actual, you know, real thoughtful evaluation of uh, how the news is treating people. The the idea that there is a bias at CBC, though, that there is a downtown Toronto or Montreal bias, that's not something new. Uh, the oldest um, example I can find, I think it's from 1964, it's on CBC archives, and it's then CCF MP, Doug Fisher, who went on to become a great columnist yep. for the Telegram and for the, or for the Telegraph and for the Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was elected for Thunder Bay. And he was, he was up there with the NDP predecessor complaining about CBC in Ottawa. So yeah. CBC reporter went and interviewed him. And his comment was, it's metropolitanism. They care about what happens in downtown Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa and then there's the rest of the country. Is that fair? Well, I think that uh, it's interesting. Um, I was very much of the view that, that that's a different kind of bias, the metropolitan bias from the kind of political, uh, you know, and ideological bias that it was accused of. One of the things that's fascinating to me is that uh, in terms of radio, if you have a local radio station covering, you know, as we have in Toronto, for example, so you get, Metro morning in the, uh, you know, in the morning, and then you get the afternoon drive show. So you have heavy coverage of local stuff. What happens is that the, uh, the propensity of people in Toronto then to listen to the national radio shows goes up. And we saw that in every single market in the country. So that if there's a strong local presence, then people's enthusiasm for the national shows goes up as well. So one of the things that became uh, important to me was actually to start rebuilding um, the local uh, supper hour television shows. And for two reasons, one of which was that I thought that would also lift the national news uh, in the same way as it did for radio. And secondly, uh, you know, Doug Fisher is right. It's very important to, uh, to cover the country in its entirety. And suddenly that w- would have given us more local stories that we could play nationally and so on and so forth. So I, I think that's a, that's a fair point. The difficulty, of course, is that it's very expensive to do that. It's extremely expensive to do that. The French do it more effectively than the English, and that's in large measure because the French are much better financed than the English. And so, on a smaller region for the majority well, smaller, of their their audience. Yeah, much uh, much smaller region, and uh, and they have you know right now, I think the numbers are that. The French tel- the French services are financed at the level of about seventy dollars per uh, capita, and the English services are financed at about twenty three dollars per capita. And so, not surprisingly, they have better local presence 
uh, because it's smaller and they have more money per capita. Yeah, but uh, I mean, look, uh, part of my problem with, and, and you know that I have many problems with CBC, mm-hmm. um, but w- one of them is that, you know, continually hearing, well, it's not financed properly enough and we don't have money for it, but then they go off and they have spent enormous amounts of money um, basically turning their website into a newspaper to compete. They've spent a ton of money on a CBC streaming music service that for years would you would go on it, and I would do this for my stories, and it would right. promote the latest pop music. And so they were essentially, you know, competing for listeners for Elton John and Beyonce songs with Spotify, except CBC is free to the listener. They still have to pay for it. Free to the listener, whereas Spotify, you have to pay for it. Um, Even on the local news, they've gone into markets that they never had a direct local presence like Hamilton and built up an online station competing with the private sector. So there's all this attempts to compete while – in in new ways while not doing the core job in my view yeah well i mean i think that uh, would it be desirable uh, for cbc to get out of advertising yeah i think it would and i say that for a couple of reasons one of which is that uh, i think it's uh, i think it's it's not wrong when people say that the cbc should not be competing with the private sector for advertising revenue particularly given the sort of advertising markets now. But the other reason is, you know, when it comes to uh, television, more and more of what we're seeing is that people have been trained to not watch ads. So whether you're PVRing your way through it or whether you're uh, subscribing to streaming services, there are no ads. And when there are no ads, what it does is it opens up certain ways in which you can make television shows that are more creative, that are more interesting, and that are more imaginative. So I think that would be desirable, but again, it comes down to a, it comes down to a problem of money. Uh, you know, if I were to compare the amount of money that CBC gets from the government to you know what the BBC gets, I mean, the BBC gets about seven times as much money per capita. So they don't have to have ads; they don't have to look for other sources. Well, they, if you go on a BBC website in the UK, you don't get ads on the news story. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly right. But that's because it's much better financed by the British government and has been historically than CBC. I mean, they have, if I recall the numbers correctly, about seven times as much money per capita that the CBC has. So let's talk about this issue of, of defunding it. Um, it's, do you think that Pierre Polyev is saying this just to raise money, or do you think that he will look at de- defunding? I can't remember if his promise is, all of English services or just English television? I think it might just be English television. But English television, yeah. Um, That's what he was talking about. Do, do you think he's doing this just to raise money, or is this a real possibility? Well, I think, I think he, he, he certainly is doing it to raise money. It's very funny to tell you a story. So Doug Finley, you recall Doug Finley when he was the head of uh, the Conservative a, a, Party's A great campaign character, director. yes. A great character, a fantastic character. Anyhow, uh, after I left the CBC, it was a couple of years, two or three years later, uh, the Senate, he was now a senator, and he had asked, uh, they were doing a look at the CBC and asked if they'd come down and talk about it. And I said, uh, sure. And uh, so he said hello to me, and he said, oh, I said, it's nice to see you. And he said, I read your book. He said, it was, it was terrific. <laughs> and I said, oh, thank you, thank you. And he, he, I said, you know, you're in it. 
because you would spend all your time, you know, writing letters to uh, your supporters, telling them what a terrible group of people we were at the CBC and raise money. And he laughed and he said, my, he said, that's exactly right. He said, that was my best money raising, money raising, raising thing I could possibly say. Every time I attacked the CBC, money would pour in the door. Well, what he would do is, uh, without fail, he would release those fundraising letters to the media before they landed in anyone's mailbox so that he would get even more publicity out of it. Even more publicity, yeah. So the the entire gallery would write about it. It Yeah. So, you know, good politics. And and it was, so, you know, we had a laugh about that. But, I mean, clearly that was working extremely well for the conservative base. And so I presume it's working well for the conservative base now. Um. You know, I mean, the problem, I th- so I'm, I'm sure that that's part, partly just a fundraising thing and uh, it seems to work well in English Canada, and he knows it won't work well in French Canada, that it would be, in fact, a catastrophe yeah. if, he were to, if he were to say anything like that about French Canada. So, you know, my guess is it's largely a fundraising thing. It's largely a way of animating, the, you know, the, the base more than anything else. But would anyone notice if CBC television were defunded i mean the radio service is something different and i think there's still some good parts on there it's, you know I, I i may pine for the days of zosky but that's a long time ago yeah but the tv side would anyone notice if they just lost their funding uh well i mean people will definitely notice i mean there'd be no doubt about that you know every time that you turn around and you say well maybe we should close a station in some small place that's not working well then the level of screaming and carry on just is like, you know, it goes on and on. So I'm sure that people would notice. Uh, is it true that the, you know, the, the numbers for English services have gone down in terms of uh, the number of people watching? Yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, you know, but again, I, I come back to the same thing. Like this, there, there is something, there's something very odd about what's going on right now. You know, uh, English, Television and the numbers for CTV, the numbers for global, the numbers of everybody have been going down. Uh, and partly that's because of the level of competition that, you know, you have essentially these very large, very, very well keeled, huge American services, whether it's Disney Plus or whether it's Amazon or whether it's Netflix, you know, operating uh, in Canada without really uh, any obligations whatsoever with respect to Canadian television. Uh, so it's been, it's been, it's been very difficult and it's the difficulty is compounded by the fact that, uh, you know, the organization remains dramatically underfinanced. But I mean, I think they are losing viewers, especially on the news side, Mm -hmm. because regardless of your study, a lot of people who don't live in the downtown areas whether they vote conservative or not, just don't feel like it speaks to them anymore. And those who do vote conservative feels like it treats them with disdain. I mean, in the 2019 election, they sued the conservative party for doing the same thing other parties had done that they'd never sued. And they, they launched it, what, a week or so before. I, I, I don't know how you don't read into that, that there was a a determined attempt to besmirch the conservatives in that election campaign. Well, I, you know, this is way after my time. Yeah. And uh, so I don't really have a view about that. But uh, but I would say that, you know, I, I think that it, I, I agree that it's very, very important that 
that the CBC not be patronizing, that the CBC be exactly the opposite of that, that it be an organization that speaks to all Canadians of whatever kind of ideological bent they happen to be and that it speaks to them respectfully, without a doubt. Um, but I come back to the thing, you know, like it's, it, there's a kind of, you know, big national cultural question that underpins all this, which really is, what do we want by way of a public broadcaster? If, if we don't want one, fine, then wind it all up. Uh, wind up the French side, wind up the whole thing. On the other hand, if you want one, if you think it's important that we have a great public broadcaster, as the, B, as the British have the BBC, then you've got to fund it properly. And you've got to make an arrangement whereby there's some kind of understanding between the government and the corporation as to what's going to happen. What they do with the BBC, which is very interesting, is every 10 years, they sit down and the government and the BBC essentially make an agreement as to what it is that the BBC is going to be about. And then they say, okay, how much is this going to cost? And then they agree on what the price is going to be. And then they strike the budget that way. And the budget is struck for 10 years. That's the so-called Royal Charter approach. The problem with the CBC right now is that there is no consensus, whether it's from the conservatives or from the liberals, as to what they want the CBC to be. Right? They say, oh, you should focus on, you know, small towns. You should not focus on your big metropolitan areas. Well, if you start to wind up, you know, Metro Morning in Toronto, people will be going crazy. But... So, you know, is it a broadcaster of last resort? Is it supposed to do things that are, uh, you know, only the things that the private sector can't or won't do? Uh, oh, is it, let, you know, it's, there's, there's no consensus. And, and, and at some point, you have to sort of say, well, if you really want one, let's have an agreement as to what it is that it's supposed to do, and let's finance it properly. Okay. Let's take a break here and talk about that because there is, as you said, the wider issue beyond just CBC, the very survival of media in this country as a whole is up in there. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Richard, while we're talking about the future of CBC, the fact is the whole media landscape is, well, falling apart. Let's be blunt. It's, yeah, we're all wondering, can we survive? And if we can, then how? Nobody has a clear answer, um, you know, unless you're the Globe and Mail where you just, okay, well, find the richest family in the country that can lose money in perpetuity yeah. and still be wealthy. Yeah. Outside of that model, you know, whether you're post-media, Toronto Star, uh, CTV, Global, go down to the United States, you know, there was some thought, well, Jeff Bezos taking over uh, the Washington Post would save it. Well, they've had trouble too. So it's, we're trying to find a, a, a new way to go about it. So if you were structuring CBC now, and, and I've argued that we don't need a national public broadcaster, mm. but you take the other view. And a lot of Canadians, you know, especially on the radio side have a very uh, deep attachment, they but do. what should they be doing then? Because, uh, you know, it, we, we talked earlier about the ads, um, there are all these services that compete with the private sector. How, how do we create a media environment where one organization getting a billion plus a year from the government isn't cannibalizing the private sector that still needs to exist and serve their markets as well? 
Right. How do we how do we design that? Well, let's. Uh, I think it depends on the model that you want. Let's say, for example, uh, well, just let me back this up for one second. As you may or may not know, I actually wrote a book. There was a, a lot of it was about this called the Tangled Garden, which spent a lot of time looking at the collapse of uh, of news financing uh, as a result of the loss of advertising revenue, which is what you're referring to. And the and and the and the, what it argued, the book argued, is that it's it's fundamental to a democracy that we have strong and competing sources of news. Uh, you know, they did a we had a long look at post media. Post media obviously is in gigantic uh, financial trouble and has been in huge financial trouble for years. And so, one of the things that the book argued is that what we should do is we should treat news private sector news in the same way as we would treat, we would treat, you know, the production of television shows by the private sector. In other words, that what we would say is we would say, well, you know, what we need to do is make sure that there are tax credits available. And the government went a small way towards doing this. Um, so that, you know, is it more important that we have news or that we have cooking shows? My answer would be, it's more important that we have news. Uh, so the government put in place some small tax credits. Now, in Quebec, the Quebec government has effectively doubled the value of those tax credits um, for news operations. And so now... Uh, the, and what know, do these uh, tax credits go towards? Hiring towards, people or is this yeah, the subscription tax no, credit? No, uh, no, that's, that's a smaller thing. This is the digital subscription tax credit. These are labor-based tax credits. And so the way they work is they simply take up a certain percentage of the costs of your labor. And the labor is defined as being the journalists, the editors, the people, photographers, the people who are actually putting the news together. Uh, I, I, my guess is that, you know, that's going to be the sort of central way in which this, this is going to work. I mean, there are some enormous good things at the New York Times that seems to be able to make enough money from subscriptions. That they can, uh, they can, they can survive and they can make money. They're, they're, I'm not sure that's going to be true in Canada. Well, those fall off when Trump's not in the news. Well, they do. They do <laughs> fall off. <laughs> that is, you know, we we all looked with hope towards what the New York Times was doing, and then yeah. as soon as they stopped bashing Donald Trump, rightly or wrongly, that I mean, that's what the audience wanted, and it, they started to lose. You know, we we've all looked at these models, and they're all leaving us. Perplexed. Well, that's why I think that the better model to look at in Canada is a model where we say, okay, how is it that we finance television shows in this country? How is it that we finance movies? And we finance them largely with, with government subsidies of one variety or another. So, you know, why we wouldn't say we'll put you on the same footing, the news on the same footing as we do cooking shows, uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that would be a sensible thing to do. Is there a way to do that where the public doesn't look and say, well, you're just in the pocket of the government now? Because well, they, I, nice I, I can the tell nice you thing. since the, um, was it 500 million over four years spread it around yeah. all the mostly print um, organizations, yeah. we get that thrown in our face all the time. Uh, how anyone believes I'm in Justin Trudeau's pocket is beyond me. Uh, exactly. when, when you read my material, but but they still that is still said to me. And, yeah. and and by the way, I know people who are on the opposite side politically of me in their writings, and and they get accused of being in the side of everyone's pocket, inside everyone's pocket as well. It's 
it's part of it. But there is a perception that the news isn't being fair because the government is subsidizing everyone. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is tax credits are automatic. The government has no say in whether you get the money or not. You file it. It's the same way as you would file a tax return. The tax department looks at it and says, that's fine. These are okay. Off it goes. They're automatic. There's no subjectivity associated with saying you're going to get this amount of money, but that person over there is not going to get this amount of money. So it's all nonsense. I mean, at a certain point, it's all nonsense. Um, you know, I, I, and, and even if you look at, uh, if you look at things like just to come back to the CBC news study we were talking about from 2008, you know, people said, Oh, well, you know, because the government subsidizes the, CBC's news, therefore it must be in the pocket of the government. And the answer was no, it's not. And it never has been. Uh, so, you know, I don't, people could have perceptions for whatever they want, but when the perceptions are untrue, there's not very much you can do about it, just say, except, except to say, that's not true. And here's how they actually work. Well, I mean, and maybe it comes down to is it a, a partisan? bias or that metropolitan bias that we were talking about earlier. There was um, the United Conservative Party held their big um, annual general meeting in Calgary over the weekend. And I happened to catch a big conversation on CBC about the very controversial parental rights uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, agenda item that passed. And I thought, why do they keep saying that this is controversial? Every single poll from Leger, from Angus Reid, shows that vast majority of people support this. It's about 14% are on the other side, and 78 or so are on the, the side of what the motion was about. Yeah. But every time CBC brings it up, they call it controversial. And, and, and we could go through a whole list of things where maybe it's on a cultural side or it's the metropolitanism. They just... It's this view of, we'll explain what the world is like to you. Right. Well, that's a slightly different point from the point about, you know, whether people think that you're in the pockets of the government because you're taking tax credits. Mm-hmm. That, that's, 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 a, that's a different point altogether. And, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with you that, like, for example, um, I'll give you an example from, uh, from my own experience. There was, the people had tended to be, quite patronizing uh, about um, evangelical Christians. And, uh, and you know, I, and I, w- I would say, well, why, why, are we, why are we being patronizing about evangelical Christians? The fact of the matter is evangelical Christianity in places like Alberta had been fundamental in terms of the, the social and political environment of Alberta for many, many years uh, and continues to this day. I said, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't adopt these kinds of attitudes. We have to treat everybody with respect, and we have to respect, you know, what it is that they're doing. Now, if that's beginning to slip, then I think that's an unfortunate thing, and I think your general point would be right. Yeah, it's uh, and look, CBC is not the only media outlet that does this, and I'm sure you could find examples within post media as well. But you're the one that we all fund. Or not you anymore, not but me. CBC. Not anymore. I mean, not you can anymore. send me some money, Brian, if you'd like to. I'd look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, just uh, put put the um, the address in the chat here, and we'll, uh, we'll have a check on the way. Okay, good. So if you were advising any of the politicians on this issue, 
Um, what would you say to each of them, to uh, Jagmeet Singh, to Justin Trudeau, and especially to Pierre Polyev as, as he's going to go into the next election, saying he'll defund the CBC? You know that some CBC journalists are going to take the bait and yeah. and be very aggressive towards him, and then he'll say, see, this yeah. is why we need to do it. So what, what would you say to each of them? And then I'll ask you what you would advise CBC these days. Uh. Well, I would I would say to I would say to each of them, look, you know, the fundamental thing is, what do you want? You know, right now the it's kind of riddled with contradictions. What do you want? Do you do you, do you want a CBC that is going to be a CBC that doesn't compete for advertising dollars with the private sector? Do you want a CBC that is more focused on national, international, and uh, investigative news as compared to local news? Do you want a CBC that's deeply local in character? Do you want a CBC that is actually a counterweight to all the American drama and comedy that we're swamped with? What do you want? Because it's, you know, at the end of the day, what matters is, I mean, I may have a particular view about that, but what matters is that the, that the government and the parties have a view on those issues. And then to be able to say, fine, this is what we believe the CBC should be. Or if you don't believe there should be a CBC, that's fine too. But then, you know, don't just say we're going to get rid of English television. Get rid of a lot, right? Well, as but you say, if, that, that would be detrimental in, in uh, Quebec. In Quebec. People would go nuts. And, uh, but, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, my advice to them would be to say, if you want, we can talk through what the options are, and we can talk through what that would cost. Absolutely, we can do that. But at the end of the day... You know, this is a, this is ultimately a political decision, and people have to have coherent views on it. And we haven't had a coherent view on what the future of the CBC should be from any of those parties for the last fifty years. You know, we just it, haven't it had is, one. It's neither fish nor fowl. No, that's what I mean. That's exactly it, what I mean. And we say it's a counterweight to Americanism, and then we've got CBC's version of Family Feud. And there's nothing particularly Canadian about it. At least Battle of the Blades. You know, we can all relate to it. I love Battle of the Blades. That was my show. It it was your show, but it was also a popular one. You know what we got for Battle of the Blades? This is an unimaginable number now. We were getting three million viewers a night. Yeah. And, I mean, it was like, it was bigger than Hockey Night in Canada. And, um, you know, it had become a kind of national sensation where everybody was talking about it. And everybody was wondering who was going to get eliminated and how it was going to work out. I, but I, you know, but I, but I, but I come back to it. I think it's at some point what needs to happen is there there needs to be a coherent conversation about the future of the CBC, and it's not something that we've had. So you know, I have a particular view, but my view is really neither here. My view has always been I thought it should be a big popular service. I thought if we can get out from under you know advertising, so much the better. Uh, what would it cost? It certainly will cost, if you want to do it properly, it would cost more than it costs now. We should, you know, but that's just one view. I mean, that's just one view. What, what, and ultimately, it has to be a political decision. It has to be a decision that Canadians collectively take as part and parcel of, uh, you know, voting on, uh, uh, voting during an election. What, um, what would be your advice to the folks at CBC headquarters to, People like Catherine Tate, who uh, has has been rather aggressive towards towards Polyev. I mean, look, he's been aggressive towards CBC, but she's been aggressive in a way that I don't 
recall maybe a few times Hubert Lacroix was upset with me, but you don't really see, you know, CBC president lashing out. So, uh, and I think, as I said, the journalists, many of them will, will take the bait. What, what would your advice be to them if you were having a, a nice little coffee clutch? Oh, well, I, I think, that, I think that there's, there's two, these are two completely different things. The president of the CBC has a certain responsibility to defend the corporation. That's one thing. Journalists have a different responsibility, which is to report the news in a way that's fair and that's accurate, unless it's being identified as some form of, you know, opinion piece. Um, so I would say that, that as between the two, you would expect slightly different levels of conduct and slightly different preoccupations as to what their responsibilities are. Richard, it's been a fascinating conversation, and uh, I had not read your second, your uh, not your second, but your recent book on the media. I'll have to look that up. The Tangled Garden. I recommend it to you, Brian. <laughs> actually, uh, actually, interestingly, the uh, you know the relatively uh, conservative Donner Foundation shortlisted it for uh, its prize. Uh, you know, they give a prize yeah. every year for the best book on public policy written by a Canadian. And so it was shortlisted for uh, a prize. The, the winner was somebody who wrote a book about pipelines, <laughs> which I thought was less interesting, but there you go. Well, you and I are media folks, and media folks yeah. like talking about media. We Thank, do. Thanks so much for the time, Richard. Okay, I hope it's worth around. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Listen through your app or Alexa-enabled devices and help us out. Give us a rating. Leave a review. Tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.